Hey, before I jump in, I want to give a shout out to our Die Ball Correctional Center. Last week, guys, I heard the report we had tons of guests on Wednesday night and over 40 guys made a decision to follow Jesus at our Wednesday night service. Whoa! Woo! That is awesome. That is awesome. And we're so proud of what God's doing in your life. They're over there in Duncan, too. One church, multiple locations. Hey, we are at the Lufkin Broadcast Campus getting fuller and fuller in our second service. And I know you've been experiencing the same at the Nacogdoches location, all you guys. And I want to invite you that, if, that we have a little bit more space in our first services at Nacogdoches and in Lufkin. And so if you've ever wanted to be a missionary, you can be a missionary to the first service. They need Jesus in there, I promise you. So I invite you to consider to help make room because the 1115 time is the easiest place where, where guests tend to come. And so I want to invite you, if you're willing, to give it a shot. Just give it a shot for six weeks and see what it looks like. You get out earlier. You beat everybody to the meals. It's awesome. Um, um, I preach a little bit shorter. So, I mean, I know you're already flooding to the first service right now. But, but, but I, want, I want to invite you to consider being a missionary to our first service so that we can continue to, to make more space. Empty seats are a big deal because uh, empty seats without anything in them aren't a big deal. But empty seats represent People, people have souls, souls matter to God, and we want to continue to provide empty seats in the right spots at the right time so more and more people can find and follow Jesus. Sound good, everybody? All right, well, we're continuing in our series, Made for Mondays. Last week, we, we jumped into this, and, and why spend four weeks talking about Mondays? Why, why spend four weeks talking about work? Because a third of your life is spent at work. God has not given you the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead so that you can just enjoy goosebumps in a church service. He, in fact, he invited the disciples after Jesus ascends into heaven. He says, wait to be clothed with power. And the purpose to be clothed with power is so that we would go anywhere, everywhere to anyone clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And that includes outside the four walls to our spheres of influence. And your place of work is a critical place to Jesus. So it ought to be a critical place. Place to you. Majority of parables Jesus gave were in a workplace context. 39 of the 40 miracles in the book of Acts had to do with miracles outside the church, everyday people going through everyday life. And so what is the goal of this? I really want to transform. I want to see Jesus transform the way we think about Mondays. You, you start up and you get ready for the week to have, to have a refreshing in your heart, to be ready to tackle Monday, to take it maybe whether you are a full-time, uh, you, you work full-time raising the legacy of children in your home, or maybe you are full-time, uh, you used to be and you've retired, or you're a full-time student, or maybe you love your job and it's easier for you to tackle Mondays, or maybe you hate your job and how could I ever love Mondays, or maybe you, you are in between jobs and you're trying to figure out what's next, this applies to you, and it applies to me. Jesus says through the Apostle Paul, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by the way you think about things. And so if I think about it differently, it causes me to feel differently. If I feel differently, it should engage the way I 
act and I act differently. For far too long, we've been about behavioral modifications. Don't, do, don't act this way. Do act this way. Look like this in church. Look like this outside of church. But if we don't back up from behavior and get into the way we think about things, so you can grin and bear it at work, bless God. And you can act a certain way, but until you back up and understand how Jesus has designed you to walk into work, you're just going to be behavioral modification, and that's not the deepest place you can really walk from. All throughout Scripture, the word avad, it's spelled abad, but it's avad in the original language. It's used, and it describes two things. This is a recap from last week if you missed it. Work, avad means work. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he, he put them there before the curse he put them there to work the garden, work as part of God's DNA. The very first thing we learn about God is he's a working, active, he's going to work and make it happen kind of God. But also avad is used to define the word worship. 52 different times throughout scripture, avad, meaning work, also represents avad worship. So what does this mean? It means my work is an act of worship, not just what we do on a Sunday, but how we live every day and the way we work, the way we live, the way we worship, the way we walk, the way we lead our families, the way we lead ourselves, that work is an act of worship. Everybody, every location, say it with me out loud. My work is an act of worship. So how are you worshiping Monday through Saturday? Is your, is your worship a pleasing fragrance to Jesus? Or is it like, ew, <laughs> eh? What, what is your work? How, how can you, man, Jeremy, you don't know my boss. You don't know my employer. You don't know my deal. Listen, Jesus went through the cross to honor his father and to save you from our sin. He, he put in the work and he honored his own father. He worshiped his father by his act. You can do it too. So as we jump in today, um, let's start with, with this. World Economic Forum happens every January. Uh, dignitaries, presidents, CEOs, business leaders all gather and talk about the world and the world economy in Switzerland. And, and a few years ago in 2015, uh, they, they had uh, uh, interviewed 50,000 different places of work. And they, they were identifying the top 10 skills employers were, were, were looking for in their employers. The top 10 skills. And in 2015, those top three of those 10 were complex problem solving, coordinating with others, you got to play nice, and people management. Like the greatest resource is not just the financial resource or the widget that you sell. The greatest resource at your disposal is your team, is your people. That you lead and that, that produce the team that you're, you're on and that you, you lead. In 2020, the top three changed to complex problem solving, critical thinking, and creativity. Notice how coordinating with others and people management in 2015 have to do with our interpersonal relationships. Critical thinking has to do more of what I'm thinking through. And then creativity, it kind of depends on if you do that collaboratively or if you do that by yourself. Obviously, the needs are changing in business based on this one interview. But one thing remains the same in the last five years. As much as the world has changed, complex problem solving is a huge issue. I, I, I don't, listen, can I just, don't bring problems to people. Bring solutions to people. I, I, I tell our team, I don't pay you. 
I don't pay you to see problems. There are a couple thousand of people in our church that can see problems for free. For free. You're paid to solve problems. You're not paid to see problems. You're paid to solve problems. And I can tell you that the number one product, the number one producer of problems in the world since the beginning of the Garden of Eden, it's not slow internet. It's not the communication uh, uh, rights uh, and communication rhythm of your boss. It, it, is, it is not the technology. It is not the act that you're doing. It's not the next best thing that you learn from, from, from whoever at the X10 conference. It's not about the, the number one issue around complex problem solving is and always will be people. People. And when people deal with problems with other people, we call it conflict. And conflict is usually complex. So let me tell you something. Life is complex. There will be problems. It's good that we solve them. <laughs> like that just, death and taxes, Jesus is on the throne. Life is complex. There will be problems. You, need to, you can learn how to solve them. For the next few moments we have, I, I want to dig a little deeper into this thing that's existed since the first humans, conflict. Um, this, this space, this, this issue between us. I was having a conversation with our worship pastor earlier this morning. I said, when you think of conflict, what do you, our worship pastor on the Lufkin location, Pastor Cody, when you think of conflict, what, what do you think? And he said, uh, he said, I think of chafing. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's a good description. That's a good description. For those of you who don't understand that, let me tell you what chafing is. Um, go to Six Flags in jeans. <laughs> ride a wet ride on the first go-around. Walk around for a couple hours. You will know what conflict is. <laughs> You'll understand it. There's this friction. There's this tension a lot of times it goes unsaid and unspoken. It just kind of builds and builds and builds. And we, instead of verbalizing, we internalize. But then when we verbalize, we tend to vandalize, <laughs> okay? Like, like we tend to, when we verbalize, we kind of spew instead of say. And so what would the Lord teach us about conflict? If we're made for Mondays and, and work is an act of worship, you're going, we're, you're going to face conflict. So I want to give you some handlebars for this. So let's take, if you're taking notes to the back of your worship guide, you can write some of these thoughts down, fill in the blanks. The first is this, conflict is everywhere. No one is exempt, no one is immune inside the church, outside the church, inside Christ followers, uh, uh, around Christ followers, around pagans, you name it, whatever people deal with, conflict. And, and here's how we kind of describe everywhere. There's conflict around us. So maybe you've seen it happen around the water cooler. You've overheard it in the boardroom. You, you've dealt with it as a child in your home, but maybe between your mom and dad or you're a sibling and your, your father and, and your sibling had, had tension or whatever. There's conflict around us, and so we learn in our families how to deal with it or not deal with it, and we kind of pick that up and we take it for the rest of our lives unless we take a biblical approach. There's conflict between us where now it's not just around us, but there's the tension between you and me. We, we have an issue. 
And that issue can, can grow and it can fester and it, and it even grows faster in the dark when we don't deal with those things. Of course, all of this, there's conflict in us. And so it's with us all the time. It's inside of us because you are your spirit, body, and soul. You're, 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 you've got the flesh part of you that, that, that is, is temporary and it is your own desires, your own hormones, your own emotions, your own feelings. And you also have your soul, the mind, and the will, and the emotions. And then you have your spirit, that that is most like Jesus, that calls out to Jesus. Everybody calls. There's something inside of us that calls out. Like, There's got to be more to life. And it's that spirit within us that, that is looking for reviving and looking for hope. And when Jesus comes into our life, he, he gives us the, the spirit of God in, in, inside of us. And that spirit wants to do right, but the flesh sometimes doesn't. In other words, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The disciples that went to pray with Jesus right before he's arrested, he said, could you not just pray for me for an, for an hour? Their spirit was willing to pray, but their flesh was just tired and, and it was just weak. So there's conflict that we have to deal with inside of us. Maybe how we grew up and what we experienced and who hurt us and what wounds we're carrying and the identity that we've, we've, we've picked up and tags along with us. That's all in us. Conflict's everywhere. And so we have to face it and deal with it in the way Jesus would invite us to deal with it. Number two, you learn a lot about a Christ follower in how they behave through conflict. When the going gets tough... And Christ followers become not Christ followers. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty uh, um, infant Christ followership. And let me tell you, when you start as a Christ follower, you start as an infant. You don't just like come out full grown into the kingdom of God, a mature Christ follower. You grow in maturity. You go through infancy stage and adolescence and you grow into maturity. And until you see Jesus face to face on the other side of eternity, you're still maturing. You're still, you're still getting finer with age, more and more like him, closer and closer and more Christ-centered. But I can tell you, people, people have, have worshiped God on Sundays and then are a jerk boss on Thursdays and they invite people to church and the jerk boss is inviting people to, to church and like, I don't want to go to that church. I don't want to go to that church. Or people have come and visited our church. And you haven't invited them, but they're like, they're a Christian? They come to this church? Boy, they weren't acting like a Christian in that boardroom the other day. Because behavior modification will only go so far. It's all about being renewed in our mind, changing the way we think to how we feel, to how we act. Can I say many times our emotions, we, we, we don't allow, we, we allow people to steer our emotions more than we steer our own emotions. We give people the steering wheel. Ah, they're just driving me crazy. Stop giving them the steering wheel. Driving you everywhere. Ah, they just make me so mad. It's not in your notes, but you may want to write it down. Out of control emotions will not produce the right fruit in my life. And many times, conflict sprouts from emotions that aren't dealt with properly, that, that don't have a bridle, mouths that don't have bridles, emotions that, that aren't, aren't uh, managed effectively, and our emotions get the best of us, our mouths get the best of us, and we, we speak before we think. Okay. Conflict happens, and, and you can tell a lot about a Christ follower 
and how they behave through conflict. Well, I just, you know what? I just tell it like it is. You better get off the train tracks when the train's coming through. I don't care. You know, Christians aren't supposed to be weak. Yeah, but they're not supposed to be mean either. Right? And maybe that is how you are. That's how you do business, okay? But I can tell you there is a better way. It's amazing how when we follow culture, we get further and further away from Christ. But the more we follow Jesus, the closer we get to Jesus, the more our lives are transformed. And you can be someone who's full of integrity, humility, and kindness, and also draw the line. And also make the merger happen and get the money. And, 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 and be, be a shrewd business person and also exhibit the fruits of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit. But anything out of control in your life will not produce the right fruit in your life. Number three, unresolved conflict creates unwanted damage. And you're walking around with something out of order in your life, an out of order sign on your heart, on your mind, on your emotions. Unresolved conflict creates unwanted damage. Here's some ways that, here's some of the damage. It, it hinders my happiness because it, it will steal your joy. The joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is based on happenings. Uh, joy is, is like a buoyancy no matter what I'm dealing with. But it can hinder all of that. In the book of Job, it says, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. Like you hurt yourself by when you walk around angry at this situation or angry at this person. The next time you see them, you, 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 ugh, you imagine what it, would, what it would look like to just, just ugh, make them break out with boils right now. Unwanted damage in your life, you're carrying it around. It's, it's like you have a, a, a crazy a Doberman pincher by the ears and you're carrying around this issue. When, when, you, when you don't resolve conflict, at least you don't do your part of your side of it. It's like carrying around. You're afraid to get bit, but if you don't deal with it, you're just gonna have to walk around with an angry Doberman in your hands the rest of your life. Well, that's not gonna be fun either. So, so you're kind of stuck. You gotta offer these things to, to the Lord. It hinders my prayers. And this is a big one, everybody. You, maybe you've been praying for something, but there's... There's something inside that you've not let go of. You've not given to the Lord. You've not surrendered to him. And that little thing, maybe it's unforgiveness. It's turned into bitterness. Bitterness is a terrible root that grows up into all kinds of stuff in our lives. And, you know, maybe you say, I've been trying to pray, but I can't. But, but maybe there's someone in your life you need to forgive. And you're walking around life looking for hope. God, would you fill my hand? God, will you help me? Will you take my hand and lead me, Jesus? But, but your hand is clenched tight around what this person did or what this person said or what they didn't do. It'll, it'll hinder you. It'll hinder your prayers too. What? It'll, it'll hinder your prayers. Yeah, look at First Peter. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Pretty simple right there. Like, man, why am I getting that promotion? Why isn't this working in my life? Well, stop being a jerk to your spouse. Like, first things first. Ultimately, it hinders my fellowship with God. It, 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 it creates space there. God doesn't move. He's willing to actually walk towards you. You draw near to him, he draws near to you. But when you draw away, it's not that he's drawing away. He, he stands firm. If you feel like God is distant, he didn't move. First John says it like this. If anyone boasts, I love God, I love God, and goes right on hating 
the other political party, thinking nothing of it, he is a liar. Oh, let's set up camp for just a second. Let's just set up camp for a minute. I get that Republicans have a different view of Democrat, than Democrats have. And Democrats have a different view than Republicans have. They have different ideals. There are some things they agree on. There are many things they don't. And you getting on Facebook and being ruthless and careless with your words is not Christ-like. So whether you're, whether you're an elephant or a donkey, I wish, I wish you would more pledge allegiance to the lamb of God more than an elephant or a donkey. Uh-oh, uh-oh, church talking about politics. Uh-oh, and I'm talking about your everyday life, dork. I mean, it's everywhere. It is everywhere. And, and, and we, have, we have gotten so edgy with one another. I mean, we belittle one another. We tear one another apart. We defend people blindly. So we got Democrats blindly defending Democrats. Republicans blindly defending Republicans. And Jesus is saying, can you just look, look through my lens on this? And figure out how to, how to deal with conflict based on the word of God. Not Chase me before you chase the American dream. Because I can tell you, knowing me is greater than life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because your life isn't guaranteed to be all happiness and to be all liberty all the time. Did you know that? Thank God for this great nation. But you are called to live a greater dream. And that is not the pursuit of the American dream, but the dream of Jesus that his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we not ought to become more blue or more red, but that we ought to become more like Jesus in all of this. I love God, but if he goes right on hating his brother and sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. Pants on fire. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God he can't see? Can I just take a moment and just pause? For those of you that you're hurting because of someone who hurt you. Um, or you're guilty. You're guilty. Guilt is a good thing. Guilt is a good thing. Shame is not. Being forgiven, guilt, being convicted, being forgiven, and then still feeling guilty, that's not guilt, that's shame. But if you've been guilty about spewing hatred while trying to worship Jesus, I'm not talking to the Republicans in the room. I'm not talking to the Democrats in the room. I'm talking to the human beings in the room. Can, can, can we first pledge allegiance to Jesus? I'm telling you, some people are more pledging allegiance to being American than they are a Christ follower. And we are living in a day and age where conflict is at its highest. No plan to talk about this. But you're talking about it. You're hearing it. You're seeing it. You're living in it. And we are more divided than we've ever been before. And it's not about another policy. It's about Men and women becoming more and more like Jesus on both sides of the aisle. Now, if you don't like that and that bothers you and it bothers you, I even brought it up. Listen, get out a piece of paper, write a letter, put it in an envelope, 
send it to the Easter bunny. Because I don't care if that bothers you or not. We, we, we are in the world, but let's not be of the world. Sound good? I want to pray for you. Jesus, no matter where we are in the political side, in the hurt side, in the wound side, in order to hear the rest of this message, we need more of you. In order to hear the rest, we can't lean in with defensiveness. We have to lean in with openness. So Jesus, palms up today. Palms up. Help us. Help us know what to do. We can be passionate about our political parties. That's okay. We, we can be passionate about our sides. We, we, we can do that. That's okay. But Lord, when it, when it becomes that we're being ruthless with one another, and we're tearing one another down in order to lift our ideas up from both sides, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us become more like you. Amen. So, the command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love what? One more time. What? Oh, one more time. What? <laughs> you got to love both. Love God. You got to love people. Number four, conflict isn't a sin. Okay? Conflict. Oh, the devil's just tossing us to fight. This is the devil. Oh, the devil. We're not supposed to fight in our marriage. You haven't been married very long. Conflict, is, conflict isn't from the enemy, but it can be used by the enemy, okay? In fact, sometimes God will create conflict in our lives to, to, to glorify his name, to produce, to, to produce the weight that we have to carry so it strengthens certain muscles that you wouldn't normally have strengthened unless you had to carry that burden for a little bit. See, people don't want any burdens, but I can tell you when you carry a burden and then when you also cast those things onto Christ and into Christ's hands, it's amazing when you have to walk through a valley or you have to walk through something heavy. It's, it's incredible the kind of muscles that it develops in your life that you wouldn't have had unless you walked through a tough time or you walk through the conflict. And so you have to look that God is turning what the enemy meant to destroy you, that conflict, that issue, that hurt, that pain, that crucible. But if you will leave it to God, if you will trust God, if you will work the process, you're gonna come out stronger. You're gonna come out victorious. The conflict's not a sin. It's okay, it can be used by God even, but it can produce it. So in your anger, it's okay to be angry. In your anger, do not sin. In that conflict, Conflict's conflict. Like, like we're, like they're just, if you're breathing and they're breathing, there's gonna be conflict. It can produce sin, so be careful. So be careful not to over spiritualize conflict too. But all of a sudden, well, the enemy's just trying, well, he could use it, but sometimes it's just you being, it's, it's, it's you being unrealistic, or it's them being impatient, and, and, and it can produce sin, all right? Sin says, I'm in charge and I don't need God. And it can produce that mentality in our lives. Number five, conflict is never resolved by accident. They blow up at Christmas. No, you go there. No, you. Fine, fine. All of a sudden, they show up to a March spring break birthday party and they come together because there's Pepsi and they both love Pepsi and they both... At the same time, it's like, oh, and then they're best buddies again. Conflict isn't resolved by accident. And so what do we do? How do we respond to this? Romans 12 says it like this. The Apostle Paul says, as much as possible. So, so now look, listen to me. It takes two to conflict. <laughs> the conflict in you is between you and Jesus. 
So it takes two to conflict. You can't figure out all that conflict within you. You need, you need Jesus in your, in your life. It takes two. It, it takes two when, when there's a conflict to, to, to deal with it. And if they, won't, if they won't come towards you, that doesn't give you an excuse not to at least go through the biblical process yourself. You're not exempt from this. Can I tell you, if you're not a Christ follower, you're exempt from all this. You don't have to do a single thing I'm saying. But if you're a Christ follower, you're obligated to the word of God as your moral compass for life. So as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, because you can only go so far, you can't own their side for them. But as far as it depends on you, as much as possible, live in peace with everyone. Now we want to do that. That sounds good, but there are three big old roadblocks to keep us from it. Let me, let me give you these quickly. The three roadblocks, you say, okay, I want to I fix it. Well, careful, because you've got to deal with these first in you before you can deal with the actual issue at hand. The first one is this, my fear. Afraid of what will be said, afraid of bringing it up. You, you're not one for confrontation. You can, be, you can be afraid. The next one is my pride. Pride that, that barricades me being interested in hearing what you have to say or me being willing to at least admit any area in my own life that needs to still be surrendered to Jesus. And then if you can get your fear right, and you can get the pride dealt with, then it's the approach. Because, because even if you deal with fear, hey, I'm unafraid, and I'm totally willing to hear what I, all I did wrong, but I'm going to text you my issue with you. You've just used the wrong approach. Come on, let's get eye to eye with some people. Let's stop trying to resolve conflict over an email. Pick up the phone. Pick up the car keys. If you can't pick up the car keys, FaceTime it. Whatever. But we got to look some people in the eyes and deal with these things and have the right approach. So what I want to give you now is the not-so-easy process to making peace. It ain't easy. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it every day. We'd be like, hey, Becky. I know we had that issue. Let's, let's make it right. I would love to make peace with you, Ron. Becky, Becky's going to be Becky. And you're all mad that Becky won't be more like the way you want Becky to be. But be you got to let Becky be Becky. And you got to let God work on Becky. You got to work on Ron. You got to let God work on Ron. And so it's not so easy when it's two to tango. But here is a process for making peace according to the word of God. Okay, step one, step one, I've got to find the courage to address the tensions. <laughs> Fear not. Be bold and courageous. Courage is the character trait that is a catalyst. It is nitrous oxide that propels all the other character traits into action. When I, build, when I allow Jesus to build the courage in me, it, it gives me the fuel to face big stuff. You got to deal with the fear. This was, this was fear in the garden in the very first conflict where uh, Eve took the, the, the fruit. She ate. Adam was with her at the time, and he ate it. And God starts walking in the garden. They realize, uh-oh, we did something. I'm seeing you. You're seeing me. We got to cover ourselves up and whatnot. And they're hiding behind the, they're, they're hiding behind the pear tree. And here comes God, and he says, where are you? And Adam steps out like <laughs> nervous and half naked, just fig leaves. And he says, I, I, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I, was, I had fear because I was naked, so I hid. 
Do you know that when you deal with conflict and you have to address the tensions, it, it creates a vulnerability in you, a nakedness in you, an openness that you have to talk about. And what, what we need to do is invite ourselves to be vulnerable, and that's dangerous. But you have to have the courage to address the tension. The timing is critical. The place has got to be priority. Don't just, you know, uh, right after a hardcore staff meeting, you go to your direct report and you say, hey, I know we were just talking about budget constraints and some other issues, but can we talk about an issue I have with you? No! In other words, you may want to write it down somewhere. I might be ready to share, but are they ready to receive? All right? This ain't just you being ready to share. You're going to listen, bless God. You, you've got to be willing to understand, are they ready to receive it? Because sometimes they're not ready to receive it yet. Maybe that's what you pray for. God, can you tender their heart to receive, and can you give me the, the courage and the strength and the boldness to be able to address the tensions? Number two, you've got to confess your, your part. These are declarations. I will confess my part. This equals humility. You have to humble yourself. I know, I know, very rarely is it ever your fault. I know you had no part in this. I get it. But you're, 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 you're teasing yourself. Even if your part was 1%, not, they are 99% of the problem. Own your 1%. Can I tell you a way not to own your 1% is don't go to them and say, hey, hey, Janet, hey, babe, I know this issue we've been dealing with. It is 99% your fault, but I want to own my 1% today. No, no, don't do that, okay? Don't do that unless you want to smell what a skillet smells like close up. Everyone has blind spots. No one's perfect. You want to see a victory? I want to see a victory. Humility is one of the first steps to victory. Humbling ourselves, placing it in God's hands to even do the battle. Humility can bring victory. In fact, without humility, I doubt you'll see victory. Because we all have to humble ourselves. Our nature is to be self-centered and stubborn. Our nature is to say, you, 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 you. To be inflexible. Can I tell you something? More relationships die from inflexibility than anything else. More relationships die from inflexibility than anything else. Do, do you, know, you know what 3 Corinthians 3 says? Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be bent out of shape. And for those of you looking for 3 Corinthians, it doesn't exist. That was a joke, Okay. Doesn't exist. Blessed are the flexible. You got, it, you got to have that flexibility. Let, let me keep going. I got to choose curiosity over defensiveness. Can I, can, I talk, can I tell you guys at Nacogdoches that one of the things that I, I need to work on, that I, that I am trying to work on, I get, I can, I can take the stance of curiosity with my team more quickly than I take with my spouse, with my wife. And it tends to be that when my wife says something, I, I jump into, I jump from neutral into fifth gear defensiveness. Like I just, I grind the gears into defensiveness. I do it. I do it. Now she ain't a peach. Okay, see, there, there I am, getting defensive, see? Yeah, and I, I got to figure out how to take curiosity. When you say that, 
I, I, I want to listen. I want to hear it. I want to listen. I want to hear their hurt. I want to hear what the real issue is. I don't want to just defend myself. Okay, that, 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 that's, that's just, it's, it's a recipe for unhealth in your relationships when you jump to defensiveness. Curiosity may have killed the cat, which, <laughs> who cares? But it makes me a better leader. Curiosity makes me a better leader. By the way, I was walking through the airport yesterday. Can I tell you what I didn't see? Can I tell you what I didn't see all throughout the airport? I didn't see a single service cat. Didn't see it. I saw a bunch of service dogs, though, bless the Lord. Bunch of service dogs. Anyway, why are you so against cats? I don't know. Just am. Get over it. Curiosity may, may, may get you into trouble, but it also can help you see things from a different perspective. Number four, I will tell the truth tactfully. I'll tell the truth tactfully. This is the approach side of things. Okay? Listen, everybody. Truth without love is easily resisted. When you speak truth without love, they easily resist it. It's why Jesus came in grace and truth. And that grace was driven by his love for us. He, he, comes with, he doesn't just come with truth that you are dead in your sin. But he comes with grace that while we were still dead in our sin, he dies for us. Truth with love is truth with grace. And you don't put truth before grace. You've got to put grace before truth. Grace without truth is meaningless. Because you're just, just being graceful, graceful without being, you know, candid. That's meaningless. But truth without grace is mean. You're not called to be mean. You're called to be more like Jesus. Can I tell you, uh, uh, here's one that we try to hide in. We try to hide our... Uh, are, are zingers in this. We say this word. I don't know if you've ever, you probably have never said this. You probably never said this. I've said it, I think I've said it three times in my life. You've never said it, but it's this statement. I'm just being honest. Just being honest. Just being honest. I'm just being honest, Becky. Right? Can, can I tell you, I'm just being honest isn't a free pass to just being ugly. So you got to guard just being honest. And how about just be more like Jesus? Here's another rhyme for you. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I may, let me take it back. I will be, my persuasion will be short-lived if my only tool in the tool belt is abrasiveness. You just getting abrasive with your kids will get them to obey. Short term. Short term. Long term, it will, it, will rain, it will rain fire on your head. Abrasion, that abrasiveness, can't be the only go-to for conflict resolution. But telling the truth in love and being honest and having the courage and adding all these things together. Finally, um, I will not, I'll fix the problem, not the blame. This, in the very first conflict, you see it happen. Adam and Eve are naked. He says, what happened? Tell me about it. Talk to me, guys. He didn't go in there uh, taking off his belt. What in the world are you guys doing for the only two humans I ever create? And here you are, being idiots. He, he disciplines them. He disciplines them, but he... He's curious. He shows, a curio he shows us how to live. And what happens to Adam and Eve? 
<laughs> Eve said, um, well, the, the snake told me to eat it, and, and, and so I ate it. She blames the snake. Adam says, well, the woman you put here, she gave it to me, and so what am I supposed to do? But like, no, thank you. You told me to have manners. You told me to be nice, so I just, I just ate it. <laughs> and notice that he's not even talking about the woman. He's saying to, him, to God himself, the woman you put here, thanks a lot, God. I was doing just fine with me and the lions and the cheetahs and the bears. And then you put <laughs> this crazy animal with me. What am I supposed to do? Uh-huh. Not my fault. We, we love to fix the blame on people. Let, let, let's worry about, let's show the problem. Let, let's, let's worry about, let's, let, let's focus, keep the focus on the issue, not the person. Okay? And then beyond that, when you can have that focus and not fix the blame on somebody, but actually care about making sure we're seeing, trying to see eye to eye. In fact, number six, write it down. I got to focus on reconciliation, not just resolution. Because most conflict is with another person, can I tell you the more important thing is not that you get the issue right, is that you get the relationship right. Who cares if you solve an issue and lose a relationship? It would always be more rewarding in your life to resolve a conflict and salvage a healthy relationship than to dissolve, than to dissolve a relationship because you weren't willing to humble yourself and go through a process. Do you know that you can... You can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye. In fact, walking hand in hand, many times you're not seeing eye to eye. But we walk in unity. And do you know that unity doesn't equal uniformity? You can be unified, but not have to be in uniform with everybody else. You, you, can, have, you can have your thoughts and opinions and, and preferences. You can have some of those things. For me, the plumb line, and I believe for us as a church, as a body of Christ, the plumb line is when your preferences and your opinions go contrary to the word of God as the moral compass, that's when you get off. So have all the preferences, have the opinions, have associations. But when your life becomes to be moved more by those associations and preferences and opinions and not the word of God as the moral compass for every decision you make... Do you know what those opinions and preferences become? If they don't align with the word of God, they become sin. And that's sinning. It's falling short. Resolution is resolving the issue. Reconciliation is reestablishing the relationship. So let me, let me close with this scripture. You've seen the scripture. For where two or three gather in my name, there, I, there am I with them. That's a real healthy prayer scripture. Like people that get into a prayer meeting or they, they circle around an issue, they circle around a hospital bed where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them and let's, let's pray over healing. That's okay and that's completely fine. And, that, and we should do that. That's, that's okay. But can I tell you that the, the most, the, the purest understanding of that scripture, it, it doesn't have to do with, with healing the sick. When you read above it and you get to this conclusion, Jesus is talking about if someone's offended you and you have an issue with your brother, go to them and talk it out. And if they won't listen, bring someone with you. Two of you go together. And if you can't figure it out, bring the, the, the church, let the church get in, in, involved in this if you're dealing with it. And, and then if it can't be resolved, you, you have to move on. You, you, you can't live your life. You, you have to... You have to You'd have to just keep the peace instead of make the peace because they won't let you make peace. 
And so you, it's okay for you to walk away from a relationship if you've tried and you've gone through the process. And that whole passage ends with, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So the essence of that scripture is about conflict resolution more than anything. So can I just say to you today, probably two or three of us gathered in this room today, <laughs> gathered in those rooms, and you, you have been hurt. And what ticks you off the most is they may not even realize that they've hurt you. You've been hurt. Or maybe they do realize it and they haven't done anything. They haven't, they haven't approached you. That's a wound. It's a hurt. I want you to know it's okay to be hurt by that. You're, you're not a weaker Christ follower by being wounded. But I will tell you, he was wounded for you. He wants you to have healing in the stuff people can't see. Maybe you have been the one that have hurt others. Can you humble yourself enough to realize it? That maybe what you thought was you're just, you're just telling your truth. You're just saying you're what you're going to say. You're just, you know, you're just being me. That's the way my granddad was, the way my dad was, the way I'm going to be. And by doing that, you've hurt others. Can you own that? Oh, can you be a bigger man than your dad was? You can be. Own it. Own it. You want to try to make it right, but you didn't know how. You didn't have the tools. Can I tell you that if you will take what we've talked about today, you have the tools. And Jesus says, he that hears the word but doesn't do anything about it will live with a sandy foundation. But those that hear the word and do something, they're like a house that's built on the rock. Hmm. Oh, I wish, I wish somebody knew what I was going through. I wish somebody understood the pain. I wish somebody knew the conflict. I wish somebody could like, like see it and say, I, you know, I wish just somebody would walk a mile in my shoes for once and understand the conflict. You don't understand, Pastor Jeremy. You don't get what I've been going through. You don't know the wound that they inflicted when I was a kid. It stole my childhood from me. It stole my childhood. It's affected my marriage. It's affected my identity. You don't even know. I wish somebody could just understand. Somebody that could make it right. Paul says it like this. There's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and people. He is Christ Jesus. And if, if Jesus can reconcile you and his father, not you, by yourself, but Jesus in you, he will help reconcile you and that person. In a world filled with disagreement, in a world filled of wars and prejudice and clashes, and racism and violence and terrorism and partisanship and broken relationships, we need Jesus. And if we will lead with Jesus first. He will help you live and even make peace between you and even Becky. All locations, would you close your eyes with me and would you pray with me? Just bow your heads. 
This is a time we do business with God, so I'm asking you to please just stay where you are. Don't move. This is an important moment. And in all locations, if you're here and you've got a conflict, what I want to tell you is you can't really know how to address conflict outside until you've dealt with the main conflict of all humanity, and that is we were born into sin. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus left heaven and came to earth, lived a perfect life because you couldn't live it, paid the ultimate price because you don't have what it takes to pay it, covered you in grace because you can't produce it yourself. And the greatest conflict is what is in your heart. And Jesus would invite you to give your heart to him today. He would invite you to lay down what you've been hanging on to and with open arms, let him begin to guide you one step at a time as the center of your life, to begin to grow in him. And if that's you at one of our locations, our prison venue pastors at the front, our Nacogdoches campus pastors at the front, and if you need to surrender today and invite Jesus at all of our locations, you need to invite him, Jesus, deal with the conflict in my heart. I need to be saved today. For the first time or the first time in a long time, if that's you, right now, would you have the courage to just raise a hand and say, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that courage. It takes courage to address that tension in your life. Good job. You can put your hands down. You just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Give me a next step. Help me. Would you save me? I confess you are who you say you are. I don't want to live on my own. I want you to guide me. You are the savior of humanity, the son of the living God, and I, I surrender to you today. With eyes closed and heads still bowed, if you're here, and frankly, honestly, between you and God and me to just pray with you today, if there's a, a, a real conflict in your life, big or small, doesn't matter. It's a conflict and it's causing tension. But you'd like to give it to the Lord and, and ask Jesus to help you with this process. If that's you, would you just put a hand up in the air? All locations. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too, everybody. You can put your hands down. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come to you first. Thank you for loving us when we didn't deserve your love. Thank you for resolving the conflict of sin in our lives when we didn't earn it and can't earn it. And now, Jesus, we ask, would you help us in other conflicts and other tensions and other issues with mamas to their babies, to husbands with their wives, who at one time they were looking with admiration in one another's eyes, and now it's so hard to even look at each other because of this conflict that's just festered and boiled and become so big. Oh, God, let them know it's not over. It doesn't have to be over. That you can do miracle there. God, for those that are here that have been wounded and hurt, violated by a promise that was broken or, or, or by someone they trusted who violated that trust, oh God, may you give us the grace and the love and the help to not excuse anything. We don't excuse their behavior. But God, we have to forgive. Help us to know how to forgive and place it in your hands and not carry it in our hands. We ask all these things 
in the ultimate reconciler, the ultimate mediator, Jesus. And everybody at all locations said a good amen.